Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 64. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Well, we've got kind of a science fiction-y show for you today with a bardle at the end, so stick around after the story and I'll put my bard hat on and spit some rhymes at you, playa. First, though, it's Drabble time. Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words long. Send yours into Drabblecast at yahoo.com. This week's Drabble comes from Kim Bradford, and it's called Hard Rain. This story was first published in Farthing, Issue 2, and Kim's other stories have appeared in, or are forthcoming in, Interfiction's Anthology, Electric Velocipede, Abyss and Apex, and Thou Shalt Not. If you're anything like me, and I bet that you are, you have certain expectations in life. Like an expectation that if something is falling out of the sky, it will be rain, or snow, a leaf, or possibly an apple. But no one ever, ever expects aliens to come raining down on their heads. There was nothing in my 27 years of experience to prepare me for the day when I would be ducking and dodging small alien bodies falling down from the sky in midtown Manhattan. <laughs> Talk about an invasion plan gone horribly, horribly wrong, huh? Our feature story this week is called Thus Spake Blearbo, and it's written by Ahmed A. Khan. Ahmed is a Canadian writer, originally from India. He sold works to several magazines, including Interzone, H.P. Lovecraft's Magazine of Horror, Idiomancer, and Strange Horizons. He's recently edited the anthology SF Waxes Philosophical, available from zcbooks.ca. You can find his blog attached in our show notes. So, without further ado, Thus Spake Blearbo by Ahmed A. Khan. Blearbo Gumblum had an exceptionally long nose and an exceptionally short tail, and was considered to be one of the wisest male creatures of all the sentient species on the planet Valai. Once, when Blearbo was quite young and not so wise, a few incautious words from his mouth had caused a minor disaster on Valai. In order not to cause Blearbo Gumblum undue embarrassment, we will not go into details either about his words or about the disaster that ensued. Immediately after the disaster, though, Blearbo Gumblum, grim decision writ large on his face, said, Oh, bloody hell. He then swore to himself that he would not speak another word again, unless it became absolutely necessary to do so. Soon after that, he took his tachyonic spaceship and became what could be called the social worker of the spaceways. 
planet to planet, galaxy to galaxy, he moved, helping people, saving lives, redeeming himself, and never finding the necessity to speak a word. He prevented war on several planets. First, there was the planet Linglora. On Linglora there lived two sentient races. One was a race of four-footed, two-handed reptiles, and the other was a race of two-footed, four-handed reptiles. There was a most bloody sort of war going on between them. Swords rose and fell. Limbs flew through the air like nobody's business. Then, right in the midst of the war, landed Blirbo Gumblum. One look at him and the chieftains of the warring factions, not to mention the other soldiers, ran babbling to hide behind the skirts of their respective mothers. This reaction was normal enough when you consider the fact that Linglorans, who are themselves about five inches high when standing on their tippy-toes, had never in their lives seen anything higher than fifteen inches, and Blirbo had the stately height of about thirty-odd feet. The Linglorans were so unnerved at the experience that for at least twenty years after that fateful day there was no war on Linglora, and Blirbo had not spoken a word. On planet Koraga, war was prevented in quite an oblique manner. As Blirbo's tachyonic ship neared the planet, its psychotelemetric instruments started collecting and evaluating data. Blirbo looked through the data, traced the whole network of causes and effects of an imminent war, and decided that the best thing to do was to land on a planet and pluck a fruit from a tree. The young warlord of the biggest warring faction of Koriga was taking a stroll through the woods, his mind occupied with schemes of throwing his country into a major war so that his powers as warlord would increase tenfold. The deep reverie of the young warlord was rudely interrupted by a sound never before heard on the planet Koriga. The sound of a tachyonic ship emerging into normal space-time and landing on a planet amid the soft, long-drawn sigh of neutron jets. The young warlord, lost in wonder, watched the ship come down in a clearing in the woods. Out of the ship emerged a strange entity with a short tail and a long nose. This entity walked to a Wandanoga tree, plucked a white and yellow fruit from it, and, with the fruit in its hand, walked back to its ship. Then the ship was gone. Imagination fired with wonder, the young Corrigan came home from the woods, resigned from his position as the country's warlord, and went on to become the planet's most famous writer of science fiction and epic fantasy. And Blirbo Gumblum had not spoken a word. One of the strangest incidents of Blirbo's life took place at a region about a half billion light years away from Valai. While moving through tachyonic space-time, Blirbo felt something from normal space-time tugging at his brain. Suddenly, a feeling of intense loneliness invaded his heart and mind. Totally mystified, Blirbo, with the help of his psychotelemetric instruments, set course for the source of the mental tugging. His ship emerged from tachyonic space-time into the deep, deep darkness of normal space-time. There was nothing to be seen for light-years, no planets, no stars, no galaxies. Who or what was it that tugged at his brain? The feeling of loneliness was almost unbearable. Blirbo checked the psychotelemetric data again. The conclusion surprised even him. Very close to his ship lay a huge sphere of peculiarity, a region where the natural laws of space and time seemed to have been bent quite out of shape where the fourth dimension of time could actually be observed and measured as a spatial dimension. 
Within this region, Blirbo found four sentient, intelligent, and good-natured creatures, two males and two females, floating in space. Due to the peculiarity of the space-time in that region, Blirbo could see the entire life of each of the four creatures. Each of them appeared to him as a long worm, with one end showing the creature at birth and the other at death. Strangeness of the scenario aside, what seemed wrong was the fact that there was no point of contact between the four worms. Interpreted in normal space-time terms, this would mean that each of the four creatures had lived their entire lives in total isolation, never coming in contact with any other living beings. The feeling of utter loneliness which emanated from these creatures was thus not at all surprising. How had the four creatures come into being in the first place? Yet another unsolved mystery, thought Blirbo, among the myriad unsolved mysteries of creation. Blirbo knew what he had to do next. He manipulated the tachyonic controls of his ship in a certain way so that the space, for a few thousand miles around his ship, pulsed once. It seemed to contract to a point and then bounce back to its original size. In the process of the contraction of space, the four worms meshed with each other, forming relationships, and when the space-time was returned to normal, the sphere of peculiarity was filled with a colorful latticework of millions and millions of worms, all offsprings of the relationships formed by the first four. The wonderful sight filled Blirbo with gladness, but nary a word did he speak. Then there was the planet called Smack. The whole planet could be called a gigantic solid-state transistor. It was alive. It fed on sound. It gathered sound from millions of miles of surrounding space, digested certain necessary frequencies, and excreted the unwanted sounds back into space. Here, Blirbo saved the day by inventing earmuffs with 99.9% .9 efficiency for the sentient and disgruntled inhabitants of Smack's neighboring planet, Slack. And so it went, for a million years, at a million places. Blirbo the Wise, formerly of Valai, toured the universe, saving lives, saving cultures, sowing seeds of peace in soils torn with war, and never speaking a word. Then he chanced upon a star called Sol. Here, on Earth, the third planet from the star, he found sentient life. His psychotelemetric instruments started bringing him data on the planet and on the sentient creatures who lived there. It was a strange place, perhaps the strangest Blirbo had ever come across. The surface of the planet was divided, due to some strange reason, into more than a hundred parts of different sizes and shapes. Each part had a different name, but collectively they were called countries. The funny thing was that these divisions were not always physical. They were just lines drawn across the map of the planet's surface. But if his interpretation of the data was correct, the people of the planet took these lines quite seriously. They even killed for these lines. With a growing sense of confusion, Blirbo observed. On the planet were places where people were not allowed to enter, based solely on the color of their hides. There were words in the languages of Earth that described this phenomenon, when Blirbo tried to define it in his own terms, he got sick and had to throw up. In one country, there was famine. Men, women, and children were dying of hunger. And in another country, thousands of tons of eggs and wheat were being intentionally destroyed to stabilize the economy. 
Blirbo marveled at that strange phrase. Each word of the phrase, taken individually, had a meaning, but the phrase itself was totally meaningless. What a paradox! Earth seemed full of such paradoxes, contrasts, and contradictions. In the ocean near a country called Japan, there was a small naval battle between two ships. On one of the ships were whale hunters, on the other were those who wanted to protect the whales. In another place, there was something called a civil war going on. People died. No one tried to protect them. Moment by moment, all collectible data was collected. Blirbo observed, noted, and interpreted. Then a historic moment came, a moment when the million years of silence of Blirbo Gumblum was broken. The silence that had been maintained in the face of countless wonders and horrors of the vast, vast universe. For the first time in a million years, Blirbo Gumblum felt that he had to speak. For the first time in a million years, Blirbo Gumblum spoke. Oh, bloody hell, he said, and turned his ship back home. That was our story. Hope you enjoyed it. Some quick feedback from Drabblecast 60, Dysfunction by Rob Haynes. This was the story about the sculptor who thought his art was coming alive at night. Adam said, This story does a really good job of framing that struggle of feeling like you need something, but realizing you should probably burn it. I've felt like this a couple of times in life. First, when I canceled my World of Warcraft subscription. Also, when I was getting out of an unhealthy relationship. If you're too attached to a person, but they're driving you insane, and you know you shouldn't be with them, you may just have to burn that bridge completely. Not literally, though. Setting my ex on fire like the papier-mâché arachnid in the story might be a little satisfying. Golden Rat said, I thought the story was cool, but the end was too abrupt and felt tacked on. I was bummed over the fate of the cool creations that may or may not have been alive. I would rather have heard that the guy woke up one day and the creations were gone, but left a note saying that they had run away to live in a Walmart warehouse or something. Krista felt that the ending worked because of the normal character. She said, Once someone like that enters an artist's life and gives them a new perspective, that can be all it takes to just cut that obsession off. Just like how the story ended. Especially if they're a person that the artist respects and has more of a grip on normal people reality. It's really easy to lose the idea once you have a different perspective on what it is you're creating. I agree with Krista, although I sure don't know much about normal people reality. Okay, so Bartle time. A Bartle is a way that we thank the listeners who give us very generous donations. I ask them for a song topic and a song style, and then write it and record it for them. Our Bartle this week is for Norma Silverstrom. Actually, a birthday surprise from her husband Bart. <laughs> Norma works at a high school in the CFF Technology Department. CFF stands for Classrooms for the Future. Bart asked for a hip-hop song about a high school run amok in a strange way, so I played up what came to my mind whenever I hear of Classrooms for the Future. Thus, I present to you Sci-Fi High. This song has more references than most geeks can follow, so if you'd like to take a gander at the lyrics, they'll be up in the forums, which you should join while you're there and let us know what you thought about today's story. There'll be an MP3 of Sci-Fi High on the website as well. It's licensed under Creative Commons, just like this show, so you can share it with whoever you like, as long as you don't change it or sell it. 
If you like this Bartle, check out my CD at normsherman.com. It may just tickle your fancy. Well, that's all for this week. Tune in next week for more Strange Times. Until then, our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, reminding Blearbo that stabilizing the economy means going out and spending W600 bucks on something you don't really need. Yes, words were all splurred when smoke. I got a swirly from a Wookiee. Now that's a wooly bully. Let me take a step back and tell the story to you fully. Uh, come on. Class of 2599, player. Keeping it real, know what I'm saying? Y'all ready for this? Uh, yo, you gotta watch your back at the school that I'm from. Gotta keep your shields up and your cloaking devices on. I might make honor roll if I can keep myself alive as a transfer student at Sci-Fi High. Yeah. I go to Sci-Fi High, baby. CFF. Classrooms for the future homes. Place off the hook. A homeroom teacher's got a face that you'll never see a smile on. She's a bitch and I think that she's a Cylon. She finished roll call and I started my day by getting my much money abducted by a couple of greys. And then the next class I'm in had a Cardassian who made a paper X-Wing and then threw it at the thing. He was shooting spitballs at Jawas and I was powerless. But that was not the time or the place for cowards. And I was out of there before the thing went crazy in a Jupiter minute. He beat his ass and gave it back with a triple stuffed in it. Bring it, that's why we sing it, cause we learn firsthand. One wrong move and it's game over, man. Come on. Stormtroopers in the bathroom. Face huggers in the classroom. The cafeteria really is run by. All systems are down, so turn your stereo off. Stormtroopers in the bathroom. Face huggers in the classroom. The cafeteria really is run by. All systems are down, so turn your stereo up. Triffids be tripping, yo. You better stop taunting them. That's alright. I cloak faster than a Romulan. Uh, yo, check this. A sophomore predator sliced up the janitor. They sent him to detention for disrupting behavior. When they made him call his mom and get back to spinal column, he said, Y'all done me wrong. I don't see what's so appalling. I'm a warrior. Yeah, y'all don't even know me. Y'all just jealous of my bling. Get your hands off my trophy, biatch. Lunchtime and I'm in the cafeteria. Some Daleks start talking smack about how they are so superior. Some Reavers were just leaving and asked, You being serious or am I mishearing ya? Cause y'all must be delirious. And that's when things got crazy for real. I'm in Bari and a Centauri through a burrito with Neo and Boba Fett and Princess Leia through a plate of mashed potatoes at a couple piggy males who failed to dodge the hail of food. That's how we do and when we threw with all that maelstrom, it's time for psycho history with Professor Harry Seldon. Come on. Stormtroopers in the bathroom. Face huggers in the classroom. The cafeteria really is run. All systems are down, so turn your stereo up. Stormtroopers in the bathroom. Face huggers in the classroom. The cafeteria really is run. All systems are down, so turn your stereo up. Uh, yeah, come on. Uh, yeah, break it down now. Uh, 
don't fit in with the guys. I don't get down with the ladies like I'm the only hot Conan in the house of Atreides all alone. Like Charlton Heston on the planet of apes. He's afraid he'll get enslaved or even get rabies. Or maybe like Michael J. Fox lost outside of the 80s. DeLorean broke down again. He don't know what day it is. I'm a loner, just trying to get by, earn my diploma, if I can find a way to survive. Stormtroopers in the bathroom, face huggers in the classroom, the cafeteria really is run, all systems are down, so turn your stereo off. Stormtroopers in the bathroom, face huggers in the classroom, the cafeteria really is run, all systems are down, so turn your stereo off. Stormtroopers in the bathroom Face huggers in the classroom The cafeteria really is round All systems are down so turn your stereo up Stormtroopers in the bathroom Face huggers in the classroom The cafeteria really is round All systems are down so turn your stereo up player Classrooms for the future Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.